1: Hello and welcome to the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Victor is the Martin and Ailey Anderson Senior Fellow in Military History and Classics at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Busky Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. This is our Friday News Roundup. So we have lots of news for you. And we're going to talk a lot, of course, about the war going on in Israel and what's going on in Congress currently. We're trying to get a Speaker of the House, and that seems to be a difficult Affair. So stay with us and we'll be right back after these messages.
0: Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, Never Frozen Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat. In just two minutes, so no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? For our listeners, Factor is giving you 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. When you use the promo code VICTOR50 at FactorMeals.com slash Victor 50. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Remember, to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month, head to factormeals.com victor50, that's V-I-C-T-O-R-5-0, And use the code VICTOR50, that's code VICTOR50 at factormeals.com slash VICTOR50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Hey, folks, if you've been listening to our show, you've probably heard Victor talk about Hillsdale College. It's one of the few colleges in the U.S. still interested in teaching truth. What you probably didn't know is that they have over 40 free online courses, and Victor is one of the professors in three of those courses, American Citizenship and its Decline, based on Victor's book, The Dying Citizen, How Progressive Elites, Tribalism, And globalization are destroying the idea of America, the Second World Wars, based on his book by the same name, and Athens and Sparta, partly based on his book, A War Like No Other How the Athenians and Spartans Fought the Peloponnesian War. Don't you wish Victor would have been one of your professors in college? Well, now you can join him as he covers some of the main ideas of his books with Hillsdale College's online courses, all available for free. That's right, for free. The courses are seven to nine episodes long, and they are self-spaced, so you can take them whenever and wherever. I think I'm going to start with American citizenship and its decline, where Victor explores the history of citizenship in the West and the threats it faces today. Threats like the erosion of the middle class, the disappearance of our borders, the growth of an unaccountable deep state, and the rise of globalist organizations hey start your free course with victor davis hansen today go right now to hillsdale.edu slash vdh to start it's free and it's easy to get started that's hillsdale.edu slash vdh to start hillsdale.edu slash vdh
1: We're back to the Victor Davis Hanson Show. You can find Victor on his website at victorhanson.com. You can join us for free and get the newsletter so you'll know all the free things that come on the website, as well as the VDH Ultra material. The Ultra material you can subscribe to for $5 a month or $50 a year. So please come join us. There's lots of Ultra material and lots of good information coming out from Victor Davis Hanson. So, Victor, we have... A lot of things going on in this war in Israel. One thing we recently saw was the Gaza hospital. They said was hit, but I got the feeling it was only the parking lot. After a
2: while, wait, wait, I, wait, 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 wait. Okay, Sam. go ahead. I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> you got the feeling. When did you join the Biden? Wouldn't you join the Biden administration? You got the feeling there was the following. Listen carefully, Sammy, and you won't have the feeling anymore. (laughs) There was an Israeli video of the trajectory that showed it hit the parking lot. You said hospital. You could qualify that by not 500 dead. It's tragic when anybody dies, but it was not 500 dead. It hit a parking lot. The U.S. has surveillance, satellite surveillance. They confirmed it was most likely a rocket from Palestine. The Israeli, if you don't believe those two sources, the Israelis tapped into Hamas communications. And they learned that Hamas was surprised and said, is that one of ours? Yes. How could that happen? Well, maybe it was Islamist Islamic Jihad, which it probably was. And there was shrapnel on the ground. Hamas said itself that the shrapnel did not conform to Israeli J-bomb, J-dam bombs. So, it was a Palestinian rocket that misfired. But this is what's the key to it. I think we were all missing the real point. So, immediately, it went all over the world. 500 dead by Israelis, deliberate, Tlaib, Omar, the whole bunch. Every capital that we've given... It was kind of a rule. If the United States is given foreign aid to a Middle Eastern country, whether it's Egypt or Syria or the Palestinians, then that was a guarantee they were going to protest and go to our embassy if we had one. Okay. But here's the thing. So Islamic Jihad wanted to jump in and get a little bit of celebrity away from Hamas. So they said, this isn't fair. You get all the rockets. You get to kill all the Jews. We want to kill Jews. So we got some rockets too. Just hold off and let us do our share. So if their rocket just walk through this. If it hadn't misfired and it went into Tel Aviv where it was apparently aimed and killed Jewish women and children, civilians, what would have been the reaction? I don't think there would have been. Everybody would just said, eh, pretty good, no big deal. And there wouldn't have been the great outrage and Tlaib wouldn't have had the cause and they would. And guess what? The Arab leaders would have probably met with incoherent Biden, they only did not meet with him, they claimed, not because they didn't want to be slobbered on, I guess, if their wife slobbered on their neck or whatever. Excuse me, that's kind of a low blow, yeah. but it's true. <laughs> I mean, that's true. I mean, it's true. Yeah. You wouldn't want your spouse or daughter to be around him. And that's what's so, or you wouldn't know what, you wouldn't want to photo op when he was stuttering or inco- incoherent, you wouldn't know what to do. And that makes it unless you 're President Obador, and then you get up and help him down the stairs, or you 're Prince Charles and you point him where to go, yeah. or you 're the Japanese Prime Minister, and you kind of guide him around and this, this doesn 't bother the left all; they knew this was going to happen, but their desire for power outweighed their worry about leadership of the United States but here 's a point if the If the rocket had just hit. Everybody would have been happy that they killed Jews, everybody in the Middle East and our left. The Arab leaders then would have had no reason to boycott Biden. Biden would not have been miffed, and Anthony Blinken and Jake Sullivan wouldn't have said, oh my God, they've snubbed us, they made us look so bad. How do we win their graces? Why don't we give them some more money like we did, Ar- like we want to do to Iran? Okay, well, let's just give them $100 million. So think of that. We're giving... Hamas and the Palestinian Authority, and make no mistake about it, it's fungible. So if we give them a hundred million, and the Iranians gave them a billion, they would say, "Well, we have to, we can't spend it all on tunnels and drones. We got to take some of this uh, Iranian money and keep the sewer running, or the people get angry." Well, now they keep the sewer running with our money, and they can free up all of their Iranian um, assets for what they always do try to kill jews so this is what is so weird this whole thing if you go back log- logically from step a b c d e f g we gave money to hamas because one of the Palis- radical palestinian rockets didn't kill jews is that it Yes. If the rocket had have killed the Jews as it was intended, nobody would have said a word, and we wouldn't have been embarrassed. We wouldn't have minded, apparently. We mean the administration. It was only that we had to give the money so they would shut up, and they were not going to shut up because they were promulgating a lie based on a lie.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. So why not do it again, like hit something else? I mean, they didn't really care about their citizens anyway. No,
2: right? they, there were reports that, and they're non-confirmed, that they physically forced people that were fleeing in their cars back with violence. They're just as ready to kill their own people, and their own people would say that's martyrdom. And this is what I didn't understand about Joe Biden's incoherent speech when he said Hamas doesn't rep- represent the people of Gaza. How does he know that? everything i see they do when they brought captives back they were rushed by crowds that patted them on the back and tried to get at the young woman who was i guess on the verge of death so they could either rape her or humiliate her there were Gazan civilians we know of the 1500 to 2000 people who went in to kill jews once they heard about it there was a lot of civilians that said wow the fence is open let's go loot maybe we can rape and kill so I, I didn't get the impression that there was a widespread anger at Hamas. And then when I look at Hamas USA branch and I see these demonstrations, I don't see anybody. I didn't see Taleb Representative Taleb saying, well, we, we just can't condone what Hamas did. They killed women and children. We don't do that. I didn't hear that. So I think that we're giving money to Hamas and... Uh, we're calling it via the UN, and we're supporting terrorism. We're kind of like, I don't know, we're kind of like some kind of 19th century great game player in the Middle East where we arm both sides. We're arming the Israelis and we're arming Hamas and Iran.
1: And meanwhile they have, what, 20 of our U.S. citizens held hostage or something they around they killed.
2: That? I thought they've killed 20. Mm. And altogether killed or captive is over 30 I don't hear anybody in New York saying, Please give back my fellow Americans. You've killed them. You've kept them captive. Not in the way name of Islam. These are our American. They have no loyalty to their Americans. They have much more loyalty to Hamas.
1: No, and and you're you've been saying this all along and it's as though they just all of have- came out of the wall to illustrate what you say about I've that clanish culture and they that. could care less about an american no, citizenship and an american um,
2: loyalty they are clan loyalty every time i've written a column and going back to nine eleven, hundreds of them i've had some person from some i don't know what you'd call it islamist organization i have debated people the day that of 9-11, I debated somebody from the Fresno Mosque. And of course, he's dropped all of his saber-rattling talk once he saw that there were 3,000 Americans dead and there's a lot of Americans angry. I debated people all over California. Yeah. And I always said the same thing, that radical Islam is a cult of death. And the Palestinians are not about land or you could, Israel hasn't been there from 2006. They've had hundreds of billions of dollars lavished on them. And other than the elite that have built beautiful homes and vacation in gutter, they've just squandered it on tunnels and drones and rockets. And they just want to kill people. They want to kill every Jew and go back. And then what would they do if they had Israel? What if they just did the whole thing? They just spread the whole culture? of It would be like what? Egypt? Syria? Iraq? Where's the paradise? Yeah. They were just... One of the things people don't understand is they hate Israel because it's successful. And they took a mess and made it into paradise. And when you go to Gaza and you look at it, I have... It's kind of a natural paradise. It's got a warm, dry climate. It's got a beautiful beach. And they took paradise and made it into misery. They've had 17 years of self-rule. It was under the Egyptians until as I said last time, 1967. And they never, they never think about that. They never blame themselves. They're never, never introspective. They always, it always has to be, he did it to me. No, oh, you did it to you. And then I've also, you know, when I wrote Who Killed Homer, and I wrote, I don't know, probably 10, 10 articles on the corruption of Middle East studies, on immigration, on our education. But boy, it jumped the shark because... In the old days the radical islamicists say in the 9 11 days he was they had thing in the new republic called idiot watch where they had people who would hear what they said and edward say might say something you know or michael moore might say something blame america or sympathize with radical islam but it wasn't widespread because it was just so socially and politically and ethically taboo but now give 20 years of open borders Middle East immigration, no assimilation integration, no civics, the bastardization and weaponization of the universe. Now it, it's just, hey, we're for Hamas. We like the fact they killed women and children. And if you don't like it, screw you. And we're going to say it all over. And by the way, when we're demonstrating, we're going to trash the United States. Which, again, as I said last time, I don't understand that. I really don't. I'm not feigning uh, disbelief. I don't understand how all these people like Taleb and Omar and their families all came over. Why did they come here? Because they're saying to us, Somalia doesn't work. When we run our own affairs, we screw it up. Palestine doesn't work. Syria doesn't work. Iraq doesn't work. Egypt doesn't work. Libya doesn't work. I was in Libya. It doesn't work. I was in Egypt. It doesn't work. I've been in Tunisia, Morocco, Algeria. It doesn't work. I've been in Syria. It doesn't work. I've been in the West Bank, Gaza. It doesn't work. Only when you have so much oil you can't screw it up and you can hire a bunch of Westerners to come in and and plan everything, it works. But my point is that when you flee all that and you come over here, wouldn't you have a little smidgen of saying, oh my gosh, they're lying like they always used to lie to me. Oh my gosh, they have no dissent in Gaza. Oh my gosh, there's no chance for me, Talib, to be a senior member of the Palestinian or political apparatus like I am in the United States. I could have been a 20th generation Arab and they're never going to accept me as their full equal. Oh my gosh! You can marry your first cousin there, but you can't in many states in the United States? Well, this is good. No, they don't, there's no recognition whatsoever. As soon as they get here, they romanticize the system that they did not want to participate in. In a logical world, you would say this. Talib and Omar would say, my gosh, I fled all of that to come over here. And the closest facsimile of it is Israel. They have an Arab minority. They have full rights. Women have full rights. Gays have full rights. It's the kind of society I fled from, from to get to. So I'm for Israel. And I I don't want Hamas because that's why I wanted to get away from the Middle East. But no, it's just ethnic, racial tribal religious never, they're never going to overcome that yep. and we the host have to, to accept that and we have to make a radical change of mindset we've got to close our borders we've got to get that Trump travel ban that he said any country that is an open supporter of terrorism will have a complete and absolute travel ban anybody who is here illegally or on a green card or a visa will go back home Just think about it. All those people today who are in Washington and New York, if they are green card holders or resident aliens, let's let them go back and enjoy what they champion. And they always trust the United States. And we shouldn't be mean about it. We should say, look, Mr. X and Mrs. X, you came here, we gave you a green card. You obviously didn't like it here because you're out on the street damning America and damning consensual government in the middle east and praising people who kill and mutilate and rape and butcher so we think it would be good for you and we you know we kind of regret this but we feel it would be good for you to go back and get your wish so please leave what would happen they would, they would shriek to high heaven.
1: Yeah. They wouldn't, they wouldn't want to go, but maybe it would wake them up. That's the whole thing. I
2: think that's the point, isn't it? Close yeah. the border. Say, we're not going to do it. And then say to all these college presidents who say, screw you. We're going to support all the people. We, here's what the president of Harvard, Yale, Stanford, here's what they all say to us. They say, you know what? Prior to this ra- rowdy month, we had a code called hate speech. And if you said something like, I don't know, Judge Duncan at Stanford, way back in his career, if he said they didn't want to use they or whatever, the right pronouns, they said that's hate speech, and you don't have a right to speak, and we're going to condemn you. So, you know, you gave us the model. So we're using it, and you're using hate speech, so we suggest you uh are going to be censored. And I think what would censor consists of, I think we should, this moment there are Republicans If they, I I can't even speak of the Republicans it makes me so sick what's going on with the Speaker, but as soon as they do get the Senate and the House and the White House one of the first things they should do is look at these multi-billion dollar endowments that get six, seven billion a year and they hire all these diversity coordinators and they bring in all of these studies and just say, you know what, you've got so much money, we're going to tax it at 40%. 40% of your, because you're not nonpartisan, you're not nonprofit. you are an indoctrination factory. And then we're going to say, you know what, we'd like to help you students, but you know, you're getting ripped off. When you go buy a used car, you have to fill out a whole form and you're advised of your lending rights. When you go to a university, they don't even do that. You'd be 18, you're only 17 or 18, sign the dotted line, and all of a sudden you've got a quarter million dollars that you're not going to pay off to your 40 with a worthless major, we're going to say this. The federal government is not going to back these loans. So if you want to get students who can't afford your prices, then you have to do one of two things or both. You have to keep a lid on tuition. No more excess tuition Greater than the rate of inflation, and B, you got to back your own loans with your endowments. And I guarantee if you had to do that, they would finish in four years and they would have a competitive uh, curriculum, and some advisor would say, Here's our 48 majors when you're Mr. Freshman, and here's the average income of each one. So if you pick this major, this major, this major, uh, this may, kind of like a car warranty then this is how this is how many years it'll take you to pay off your loan. They don't do any of that. They say that we have to own it because higher education makes you a morally superior person. No, it doesn't. It usually makes you, I hate to say this because I, I once believed fully in the Enlightenment, I think it makes you a morally inferior person if you look at these crowds.
1: Yeah. Victor, let's take a break and then come back and talk about what's going on on the Capitol or in the capital, I should say. Stay with us, and we'll be right back.
0: Have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower, lower your risk of cancer. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If not, you should consider adding Field of Greens your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie and field of greens was doctor selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious field of greens. Will field of greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful it promises at your next checkup Your doctor will notice your improved health, or your money back. I got you fifteen percent off and free rush shipping. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code Victor V I C T O R for your discount. That's promo code Victor at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion. Hunter Biden
1: We're back, um, Victor. I it, there's lots going on in the Capitol. I want there's two things. The protesters are there are protesters in the Capitol, just like our January 6th. And I was wondering what your reflections on their treatment was, and then to go on to Jim Jordan. He hasn't he doesn't have the votes. He's 20 short. So what's what are your? uh
2: well, I'm ha- I'm relieved because we have Merrick Garland, the Attorney General. <laughs> so I know what he's doing right now. He's got us he's got a whole prosecutorial team and they're saying, thank God for January sixth, as they set the model. If you go into the Capitol and you occupy it, we have precedent. It's a felony, and we're gonna throw the book at you with several felonies. And you, we're going to try to put you in a jail for a year without charging you. And all these people that were there, we're, we're going to try to get them in prison for four or five years. And if they disrupt a proceeding as they did, as you saw those people shouting and trying to disrupt it, like Bowman did with the, uh, the fire alarm stunt, then we're going to add additional felonies. And Christopher Ray is going to get the FBI. I'm sure there was informants all through that crowd there had to be yes remember Mr. Rosenberg of the New York Times said yeah they were everywhere yeah I'm sure they were there and they've got it all documented and then you remember all these private leftist groups that took it upon themselves to go through pictures and they wanted to see everybody on the Capitol and then they would volunteer. they're going to volunteer their service they're going to say you know what they are killing democracy. This was an insurrection. This was a planned attempt to storm the U.S. Capitol, the center of world democracy, and disrupt it. And we're going to do our patriotic part. And then, just as Donald Trump said, I want you to assemble peacefully and demonstrate over. The cat when Miss Talib went in and re- revved up the crowd? And what did she say? Joe Biden? It's kind of right out of Chuck Schumer's. Supreme Court handbook, you know, you sow the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, you're not going to know what's hit you. She says, what you did to the mayor, we're not going to forget this. And then she said the little qualifier, and that's not a threat, meaning it was a threat. (laughs) And we're going to do what we did with uh, Donald Trump. We're going to get a special prosecutor and say, you know what? We're looking. At, he, we indicted Donald Trump for January sixth, and we're going to look at you, Miss Talib, for insurrectionary riot advocacy, and we're going to get a special Republican January 6th, but it's going to be called the Hamas Committee, and we're going to look at every single video, and we're going to look at every single person, and we're going to trace them, and we're going to go to their home, and we're going to throw the book at them, and every congressperson who advocated or sympathized with that will be charged with insurrection. How do you like that? The problem with the left is they gave us all these unconstitutional precedents and they thought that they were so morally and intellectually superior they would never boomerang back on them. And now we understand what they were all for. It was to destroy the opposition and make up rules as you go along that would never apply to them.
1: And they're and, still trying to destroy the opposition.
2: And then we turned to the Republicans, you yeah. said, yeah. the Speaker. So we had Kevin McCarthy, the first time a party got rid... <laughs> Everybody's, you know, we got a lot of nasty, uh, Sammy. We got a lot of nasty emails um, to the website and to us about my remarks about Matt Gates. Oh wow! Yes, I did too.
1: Well, he he's seems to have made to, a mess now. Because no, because he's a not folk hero him. to some of our listeners. Really? Oh, I'm sorry, listeners, but he's they don't there's no action going on that is in the interest of the United States so at take, the Capitol
2: yes, right now. They <laughs> work hard. They didn't do as well. But they had it they had a leader, and he did what he said. He took back the house with seven or eight seats. It should have been more, but they were ambushed with as far as democratic money and they didn't have a good message, I guess, but they did get the house all they and they got they took thirteen votes, and they got Kevin McCarthy, okay. he raised a lot of money, he looked at good candidates, and they took the house in two thousand twenty two and they were and They looked at the opposition and they said, this is going to be a no-brainer. These people are far-left crazies. And Hakeem Jeffries, I got really upset when he started attacking Jim Jordan, the House minority. Hakeem Jeffries' uncle was Lionel Jeffries. And I know a little bit about him because he made the life of Mary Lefkowitz, the classicist at Wesley, miserable. And he wrote a book about Afrocentrism, where he called um, people ice people and sun people. And you know who's the good people. It was the most racist track, and young Hakim, who says that he didn't agree with his uncle's racist theories, was in fact defending him as a college student, it was a, before he went full corporate, as he did. So. For him, given that record, to say that Jim Jordan was a radical or he was plotting to, it was disgraceful. But here's the, the Republicans, they have this margin of error, and all they have to do, they just have to do one thing. They just have to say to themselves, we don't have the White House. We do not have the Senate. These people are not Democrats. They're leftist, Jacobin revolutionaries. All we have is seven to eight votes, depending on the day of the week, in the House. And if we fail, we get socialism. So we can't fail. And not to fail, we have to unite. So Mr. Neocon, Mr. Romneyite, Mr. Golf Course Doctrinaire Republican, Mr. Paleocon, who's still, you know, I don't know what, and Mr. MAGA, we all have to say we have more in common with each other than we do with a socialist. So that means we stand behind this, and they couldn't do that. Okay, so then they say, okay, we threw him out because seven or eight thought he was too liberal. So then we're going to get want somebody more conservative. Okay, and then we have to tell the 20 or so Romneyites, look, you lost, but we want you now not to do what we did. That's what Matt Gates is saying. Don't, Matt Gates is saying on this vote today for Jim Jordan to about 20 Republicans, please don't do what I did. Don't use a small minority to stop the election of a speaker candidate who has an overwhelming majority, but not quite enough given the split in the House without appealing to Democrats. And don't appeal to Democrats the way I did. And they they just said that's hypocritical. You broke the rules, the protocols, the customs, we're going to do it. So now we're tit for tat. Yeah. And the Democrats are, you know, licking their chops and they're thinking, hmm, maybe we could get George W. Bush back as Speaker, honorific. We could control him, maybe. Maybe we can get some rhino. This is interesting. Interesting. And just when the United States is funding Israel and there's a whole, there's Ukraine and there's the Gaza and there's the border and we need a strong speaker to counteract the incoherence and senility of the president. We need the third most powerful person in government to be a Republican because Kamala Harris is also in her own way incomprehensible. What do we get? No, you did it. No, you did it. No, I don't want this. No, he's not pure. Oh, he's a... Why? Just, it's pathetic. So all the Democrats are saying is, well, they can't govern. I know some of you are going to say, well, Victor, this is a democracy, and this is how we're going to get a true conservative. No, it's not. This is how you're going to destroy your majority, and you're going to destroy that your brand going into the election year. That's all it's a tragedy
1: it is really well well let's um talk then about the oil reserves they're at an all time low I think we only have 17 days if I'm not yeah, incorrect sounds about right and so it, there's Biden he stopped production in the United States he begged the Saudis and he reduced our oil reserves and how can anybody suborn that or okay that
2: um well Remember what, ha- what, why we, where we got. So during COVID, nobody wanted to go outside. Nobody flew an airplane. Nobody traveled. So oil hit like 30 bucks a barrel and going downward. So crafty Donald Trump, the businessman said, ah, I can do two things. I can help the oil industry by getting oil off their hands and I can fill up this petroleum reserve that Obama left me in and not so good condition. So he filled it almost up and he bought it at 30 barrels, $30 a barrel. Okay. Biden comes in. Oil is really low. Reserve is very high. And he wants to demagogue the issue because he thinks he can get away with it because gas is so cheap. I'm going to go after frackers. I'm going to go after the lenders. I'm going to jawbone them. I'm going to cancel Keystone. I'm going to cancel... Anwar. I'm not going to cancel new federal leases. And there's a big demand because everybody now is COVID's typering and they want to go party. They want to go travel and they're going to buy oil. Uh-oh. Price of oil is going up. Six, I, The midterms are coming up. 2022. What am I going to do? I hate fossil fuels, but I hate losing more. And my guys are going to lose if they have to mouth what i'm saying about the new green deal and so what did he do he went to venezuela He even had people talk to iran talk to russia and especially talk to saudi please please will you pump this sticky goo that i hate because we don't want to do it we have a lot of it but it's just too icky for us would you pump it because you're illiberal and you like it and you're greedy So he insulted them all, and some of them deserve to be insulted, like Iran and Venezuela especially, and they wouldn't do it. So what did he do? He said, oh, there's that big fat petroleum reserve over there, and there's a big fat midterm coming up, and I'm going to drain that SOB. And that's what he did. And now it's getting near empty with 17 days left as we have a war looming in the Middle East and we've cut our production, or at least we've restricted what it would have been otherwise, and it would have been nice to have it if we hadn't have used it for Joe Biden's political advantage. And now, he, what I don't understand is when oil was 30 and $40 a barrel, after the midterms it went down to about 70 why didn't he buy it then? Put it back in, but he didn't do it. And now he can't do it because it's $100 almost. It's going to be over $100. So I, I don't understand the left. If, if they said fossil fuels are evil and they're going to kill us all and it's worse than a nuclear exchange, which they've said, why don't they say we love this? This is great. Oil is going to get up to, remember um, Obama's energy? Stephen Chu, his secretary, said up we are successful, we'll get it up to 8 or $9, the same as it is in Europe. That's what they wanted. They got their wish. They they engineered it. And now they're mad. So they drained this, the reserve and they never filled it up. Yeah. And that's, uh, I don't know what you would want to say, but that's what they did. Yeah. And we had, I think, uh, it's hard to know about how you measure it, whether you measured in the amount of oil imports. You know what I mean? The days, of the barrels. But We had the equivalent, I think, of 1,200 days of imported oil in other words given what we could produce we had about three years supply of not having to import any oil yeah but what did he do he used more than the imported daily amount he just emptied it for everything to lower the price to create a a flood of oil before the midterm And he did the same thing with the student loan program. He illegally, by fiat, tried to cancel and get a bunch of young kids who were arrogant and ignorant in college to vote for him.
1: Yeah, and we have now an impending war or a lot of conflict in the Middle East, and that's going to probably cut some of the oil coming to us. So it seems like we're stumbling toward disaster slowly, and it's very irresponsible that's... That's what gets me. I mean, we should have a government that's absolutely responsible with things like our national security, which I think is what the oil reserve was all about
2: well, well he, he he was selling you know two hundred million barrels and he was what he was doing four or five million barrels a day
1: yeah, well, he's definitely going to be culpable with any disaster that may come along with that no, he so
2: won't. <laughs> no. I looked at the Huffington Post today, somebody pointed that out, and it said 500 killed in the hospital, and then it had on the bottom, beware of disinformation, fake news, another uh, story. Nobody made yeah. the connection that they were the greatest purveyor of that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Victor, let's take a break and then come back and talk a little bit about um, immigration. Stay with us, and we'll be back.
3: Okay, it's time to commit. repairs to renovations get started on the angie app or visit angie.com today you can do this when you angie that
1: we're back this is the victor davis hansen show victor has a new book out it's called the end of everything and victor did you want to say a few words about it
2: Uh, it comes out on may 7th got really good advanced sales i think it's going to be really timely because the theme of the book is Every once in a while, a conflict, a dispute that breaks out into two armed struggle and war, that's something that it shouldn't. It ends not in an unconditional surrender or even antiquity, the enslavement only of the population or a truce or an armistice or heavy casualty, but the absolute destruction. I mean everything, language, culture, physical space and that civilization ceases to exist, and I took four case studies in ancient Thebes and Alexander the Great, who leveled it. Scipio Aemilianus leveled Carthage. When I say leveled it, I don't mean he just destroyed the city. He wiped out the population, killed them all, enslaved them, and there was no more Punic civilization for all practical purposes. And then Constantinople was a little different. They destroyed Byzantine culture. They destroyed Christianity for all practical purposes. They butchered 7,000. They enslaved the rest. And Byzantine culture ceased to exist after a 1,000 years. And so today, Anatolia, and especially Ionia, the coast of modern-day Turkey, which was the birthplace of Greek civilization, it doesn't have any Hellenism. It hasn't had any Philly for 500 years. They had a little bit of a renaissance in the 1920s, but it was quickly extinguished by the Ottomans and then later the Ataturk government. And then I finished with the Aztecs, which Cortes obliterated. And why does that happen? And could it happen again? And what places in the world uh, are in conflict? And do the people in the conflict realize that there are the same... Ingredients that could lead to a complete annihilation, especially in the age of artificial intelligence, bio welfare, plague, and nuclear exchange. So I think it'll be really timely. Yeah. I look at especially, I have a long, long last chapter where I look at the Israelis, the Armenians, the Greeks, the Kurds, a lot of different peoples that are unfortunately live in uh, unfavorable neighborhoods left next to very powerful oppressors who would like nothing other than get to get rid of them.
1: Yeah. I've been watching this movie called The Promise, and I keep noticing that they refer to Istanbul as Constantinople in that movie. And it's about the Armenian genocide before World War One. And so I thought, well, I, met, I guess the director must be making a statement. By Well, it's very
2: it. strange, though. So they took Constantinople, which is just the polis of Constantine, the founder in 333 A.D. And that was the official name, of course, as long as it was the Eastern Roman Empire's capital. Roughly from 330s to 1453. Black Tuesday, May 29th, 1453. Pretty much around one in the afternoon. Okay. And then the Turks took it. And they had, they, as they always did, they borrowed from the Greeks. And in Turkish, the transliteration of into the city is Istanbul. Istanbul Aztanpolin, But they didn't use that officially. So if you looked at stamps from 17, 18, 19, it was always a Turkish transliteration of Constantinople, Constantinomene, oh. or something like that. Yeah. They had different variations. And then with the Attic government and the end of the Ottomans, they said, you know what, with the new Young Turk nationalism, we've got to get rid of this Greek relic, and we're going to use the Turkish name. But The Turkish name didn't quite do what they thought, because the Turkish name is a mispronunciation of a Greek prepositional phrase, Ace tain polon Istanbul. So now... Suddenly, around 1922 to 23, passports, mail, everything changed from Constantinople or Constantinople into Istanbul. Yeah. But when I go there, and I was there uh, last summer, it's very sad to see the Theodosian walls and Hagia Sophia and the Golden Horn, and to think that this was the birthplace really of uh, Greco Roman culture. It was, it was called Byzantium before Constantine refounded the city. It was a very old Greek city. And then to hear um, Erdogan say this is Ottoman, this has been. I don't mind that, except the Muslim world always says that if they set one foot in territory like El Andalus, Spain, they still think Spain is theirs. They still think North Africa never belonged to the Berbers or the Punic people or the Romans or had Greek colonies. It was always Islam. It wasn't Islam until the 7th century. But uh, if, if you use their logic, then it's very tragic that this was Greek and they stole it and took it.
1: Yeah. Well, I noticed, um, if I could turn to immigration, that... They there are Venezuelans that are coming across the border, and <laughs> Joe Biden has a special treatment for them, and that is to put them on airplanes instead of buses and to fly them back to Caracas. I was now, wondering why your would thoughts. That be? <laughs> I know because there none of them would be left wing. I have a feeling,
2: but, but. but if you want to understand Joe Biden and the people around him, which is the same as Valerie Jarrett and Barack and Barack Obama and Michelle it's there is no such thing as an absolute value it's not that open borders are good or bad it's only what is useful for our aggrandizement of power open the borders and if you can bring in the poorest most destitute people who love socialism even if it doesn't work like mexicans or central americans that's great or people from africa yes but under no circumstances do you bring in Venezuelans or Cubans, that is, middle class people who have had to live under communism or Eastern Europeans. So when those Cubans came in, man, they sent, Mallorca sent them right back, and they sent the Venezuelans, and they do not want anybody from a former communist country. Yeah. And that's, so it's not that they believe in open borders, they believe in nothing other than the grabbing and maintenance of power. Yeah. And that's why they're, I keep using that French revolutionary word, they're Jacobins. They're just revolutionaries.
1: Yeah.
2: They're very dangerous people. I think all of us have to recalibrate what we've seen in the Middle East the last week. When you see Biden giving $100 million to terrorists right after they butchered well over a 1,000 women, children, babies, and invaded a sovereign nation, and yet you're going to give them $100 million and you're going to give their patron apparently still $6 billion in sanctions relief money at $1.2 billion per hostage then you have to ask yourself is this insane? Why are they doing this? And they're doing it to transform the world and America and why would they ever let in they're talking about letting thousands of people from Gaza AOC said that, Tlaib said that When you look at those crowds in Gaza, why would you want those people to augment the crowds? Because as I said last time with Jack, the chronological span from somebody screaming at an embassy and yelling death to America uh, and then coming over to America and enjoying our security and freedom and prosperity and compassion and then reverting back to form is about anywhere from three to eight years. Mm -hmm. Although I want to apologize to our listeners, because I'm not very good on chronology. It might be six months, because I think I said something that was very inaccurate. You are Jack, Sammy said to me. Well, what will Biden do when Israel retaliates? I said, I give him four days. Remember that? I said, I think give him three or four days, he's going to call for restraint or reciprocity reciprocity or proportionality. They haven't even started in Gaza on the ground. He's already telling them what they can do. So I, I apologize. It was zero days.
1: Yeah.
2: It was minus days. Before they even have gone in to Gaza, he's now telling them. It would be as if, I don't know, Netanyahu was asked to come to Washington on September 15th, 2001. George W. Bush has him in the Oval Office. B.B., I want to know what you think about this disaster of 3,000 Americans butchered. Well, what I would not want to see, Mr. President, is a cycle of violence. You do not want to lash out blindly. And you don't want to contribute to existing anti-Americanism. Don't fall into the trap of ISIS and Al-Qaeda. Do not do it. So we we in Israel are asking for restraint. Or if you're going to respond, do it proportional. Proportional. Or we can say proportionate. And he would say, now, what would that be, Bibi? Would that mean that instead of going and getting the Taliban, I would, um, let me see, I'd get 15 or 16 American hijackers, and I would hijack a Jordanian Airlines plane, and then I would ram it into the Saudi high-rises and kill 3,000 Saudis. Would that be proportional? And then we could just quit, and call it even. Well, Mr. President, I didn't mean that. So that's what we're doing to Israel. Yeah. And they would never do it to us. No. Everybody says, you know, they're all angry. I, I almost choked, vomited when I read a column by uh, Tom Friedman, George Packer, all of these liberal guys that say they're pro-Israel. When I read their columns, I say to myself, in the first word, I say to myself, Is the line trashing Netanyahu and trashing Trump going to be number 10, number 15, or how long do I have to wait for? And you'll never be surprised. In other words, they'll say, on the one hand, we really deplore what Hamas did. On the other hand, we don't want to fall in the cycle of violence. Don't do something stupid, Israel. But on the other hand, Netanyahu caused all this by forcing a national crisis over the Supreme Court And he baited the left and there was these demonstrations translated. I think it was a little stupid of the left, our guys, to go out and a million people and show the world that you might not even show up for your IDF call for if you're a reservist because you were so mad and that we we egged them on and that projected a sense of weakness and complacency, but they can't say that, of course. Yeah.
1: Well, um, if we could look at Trump, I know we haven't had a lot of time to do news, but Trump um, has had a gag order put on him in the meantime by Judge Tanya Chetkin. I hope I have her name it's another
2: right. another Obama appointment.
1: Yeah, and the gag order is forbidding him to engage in speech aimed at government staff who may be witnesses. And I was wondering just reflections on the Trump trial in general, but also this never gag heard of it. order. What never does it mean?
2: A- yeah. I mean, I've heard of gag orders that say you're not to disclose something that came up in court. You're not to attack a jury. You're not, and That's kind of obstruction of justice. But this idea that you can't comment on larger political issues as to what they do to you because he, he's not guilty. So what he, the judge is saying, we are making these allegations against you. And some of our judges, depending on the court in which these proceedings take place, they are tweeting. Retita James was tweeting. So they are talking, and all of these prosecutors have been talking to the press, and they are giving their view, which is a biased view about Donald Trump. And then the judge is saying to him, and Mr. Defendant, we can, you're not allowed to talk about what's going on. On in this courtroom, or what we're doing to you, and you cannot tweet, talk about, and in the, in the way that your prosecutors are doing themselves—they're trying to tr- try the case in the New York Times. You can't. I just, I just don't think it's going to. Oh, it's not going to be legal. And um,
1: as long as they can extend it out till the election, they won't care if it's not legal. And after the election, somebody will tell them this is not legal, and that's they'll the say, point, "Okay, isn't it? Yeah."
2: Yeah, they'll try to get him in jail before the election. That's for sure. And uh, he'll do his best to get in court and get the cameras and try to make a case against them. And maybe he was talking about Iran today and stuff. He can talk about anything he wants once he's in court. He can just wage a campaign. Mr. Trump, how do you plead? Well, I want to plead this. (laughs) Joe Biden, that SOB, he gave money. uh, Please, Mr. Trump. Trump. Okay. And then Mr. Trump, have you talked to counsel? I have talked to counsel and I wanna tell you that giving six billion dollars I had it I had the border closed. I had it closed. I had Putin in a cage. And I want to go Mr. Trump and they don't know what they have created because he's a showman and he can out, he's a lot smarter than the prosecutors and the judges.
1: Yeah, and it's a strange sort of soapbox. And then, right? and then what
2: is somebody gonna say to him, <laughs> Mr. Trump? As counsel, I advise you to be sober and judicious. And he would say, and what could happen? They could try to destroy my business. They could go after my kids. They could try me for overvaluing assets. They can try me for saying, go peacefully demonstrate over at the Capitol. I have nothing to lose. And the biggest thing is, what's interesting about this whole psychodrama is the more that they do this... And the more that they know they should not be doing it, and the more that they know Trump knows they should not be doing it, they're raising the stakes. So now they're starting to say, if you read them very carefully, sometimes between the the lines, but depending on the quality of the ruse, sometimes explicitly, (laughs) they're saying things like... When Donald Trump gets into office, he's going to have a witch hunt. He's going to go after. And that's what they're really scared of. He'll get into their records. He'll go into the DOJ files. He will file these. You know, it doesn't really matter if you're a leftist and you get your security clearance, uh, clearance yanked or you get fired, it's still bad. And all your leftist friends will say, well, Trump fired you, but he did get fired and he can't monetize that security clearance. So that's what they're afraid of, because they know that Trump might do what they would do if they were Trump.
1: Yeah. Um, and the last question before we end here. Um, I was reading in one newspaper, it was Pittsburgh something or other, and the theme of the article was that, and he was interviewing individuals, so it was anecdotal, but, um, that a significant part of the electorate wants some, something other than Biden or Trump. They yes. don't want Biden because they're not happy with the economy, et cetera. But they don't want Trump either because there's too much collateral damage done yes. by these cases. Do you think that's true?
2: Yes. But I don't think they're, explanation is true, or your explanation with all due respect. They don't like Biden because this week he's polling, depending on the particular survey, between 35 and 39%. I'll put it another way. The border is a mess. It's destroying the country. We've humiliated ourselves in Afghanistan. The economy is suffering from still from inflation. It's destroying the middle class. Our appeasement led to the invasion of ukraine we let a chinese balloon go right over our country and now china is buzzing our pilots in the south china sea trying to almost collide with them our troops in iraq are being subject to drone attacks by uh, iranian-backed shia militia if all of that was polling 51 percent, that they would want biden to run for re-election it has nothing to do with they don't have no problem with it. It's just about power. They could care less about the border. They could care less about the humiliation. If the if they think he can win and they can get power to do what they really want to do, which is to change the demography of the United States, champion Iran, turn us into a tribalist racialist society, uh mainstream trans, uh make the universities into minor league uh Clubs for politicians, whatever it is, you know, indoctrination factories, so everybody will be left wing. They have no problem with that. It's just that he's so unpopular and he's so embarrassing to them that they would want another leftist. And now they, as we said before, they look at the leftist, Kobachar, no, Josh Shapiro, maybe, Gavin Newsom, maybe, but these are all unknown quantities, and the hour's getting late. And Joe Biden is failing, as I always use that kind of hackneyed phrase, at a geometric rate, not arithmetically. Mm-hmm. So, what do you do with him? And what do you do with Kamala Harris? You got, you're going to have like a little Obama. They're going to take Hey, Michelle, Barack, can you come in? You've got to do this. We have to bell this cat. We're mice, and nobody wants to put the bell around Joe's neck or have him. You've got to do it. So, Obama goes in and said, Joe, I told you, you don't have to do this. I told you that years ago. And you did it, and you did a wonderful job fulfilling my third term. But you've got to quit. And Jill, be quiet. Don't say anything. You got your four years, you got your Vogue magazine, all that stuff. So you should be happy. And you got to be Dr. Jill. But he's got to go, or he's going to wipe us out. And then we've got to have an open primary, and we've got to get rid of Kamala. He liked Camella. I once said she was really attractive when I visited her in California. He did, Obama, but she is incompetent. And as I said before, she has a vocabulary of 500 words, and she g- giggles and gushes at the wrong time, and she shouldn't do it at all. I mean, she's just impossible. So we're going to have an open primary. She will lose, and then we hope Gavin will win. And yeah. I know that he's spoiled a little brat, and he's destroyed California, but he looks good for he can bait. Debate for 10 minutes. That's all we ask at this point. Yeah. And that's where they are.
1: I was in the grocery store today and I noticed that the National Enquirer had the answer for you. It said that Hillary and Bill are backing Michelle Obama so that they can avoid Biden and Harris in the position. (laughs) Michelle Obama is still sitting out there, not just Gavin.
2: uh, One of the brightest people. People have a very wrong impression of uh, Rush Limbaugh because he was such an entertainer and very successful one, but they thought he was just a populist. I've met thousands of PhDs in my life, and every time I talked to that guy, every time he tweeted, he had an instinct for politics. He was a political genius, besides a great community, and that's what he'd always tell me. At the end of a text, he'd say, Victor, remember Michelle. (laughs) And I'd see him in Palm Beach. He said, you know, don't laugh, but uh, she's coming in, and... I, don't, I never knew whether he was completely facetious, but the more that he gave reasons, the more convincing he was. So that's something to consider. As far as Trump and DeSantis, uh, what is the strategy of Trump? The strategy is to be Gulliver, and he's tied up by Lilliputian ropes, right? All these prosecutors and I have yet to see, he's got some very bright people working for him. His kids are bright, his family's bright, Jared and Ivanka are bright. But if there was a way to get out of these, they would have thought of it, right? Because it's always this, they wouldn't dare do this. They're not going to indict Donald Trump over what everybody does. They're not going to say that Stormy Daniels, you know, non form was a campaign finance violation. You're not going to say, hey, there's got to be some votes for me. Find them. They're somewhere. He didn't say steal them. He just That's what they all do. They're not going to. And they do it. They do it. They go beyond what you think is impossible. And it's like a train, that, that proverbial train. The train is going down, and there's no way to stop it. Because you're going to have a left-wing prosecutor. You're going to have a left-wing judge. You're going to have a left-wing jury. And Donald Trump was severely criticized the other day for saying that it was a race. He said that they were all racist. But I think he had a point that whatever you think of the the status of racial relations, and you've listened to the left's proportional representation, African Americans make up 12% of the population. This is not a local issue. And when you have three of the four prosecutors are radical... African American prosecutors and they have said that Donald Trump is racist and they're going to have a jury that's not going to be representative of the whole United States and that's part of the the Washington, New York, uh Miami, Atlanta allure of indicting him because believe me if Donald Trump was in Utah or Wyoming He's, he wouldn't be indicted. Um, and I'm trying to be fair here because I don't think those conservative, largely white populations would indict him. Or put it better way, put it this way. If a prosecutor in Utah, a prosecutor in Wyoming, a prosecutor in Arkansas, all mysteriously, simultaneously had indicted Barack Obama, and we learned, Sammy, just this week that a rapper had, is being arrested and charged for, what, money laundering Chinese money into the Obama campaign? Wow. And that is collusion. But let's say that somebody knew that in 2012 in Wyoming, in Arkansas, in Oklahoma, and they started to indict them. What would the left say? They would say, Racist! And why would they say that? Because there's not one African-American prosecutor. They're all white. There's not one jury that's African-Americans. They're all white, conservative, red states. This is a vendetta. Exactly. And it would be. And it wouldn't be fair. So to have blue state, largely minority populations, black prosecutors that are not representative of the totality of the country, and then to use race and if you go back and look at those campaign uh, campaign literature, if I can use that word, of Alvin Bragg and Latita James, it was very racially focused. So I don't see how he's going to get out of this. And he's 76, and they're trying to physically, psychologically, materially, politically destroy him. And it's a travesty. It's a horrible thing. But the Republicans are now trying to say this. Donald Trump is way ahead, but we don't know. We've never been here before. We don't know if if he's convicted in jail. Can he run a campaign? Is he president? Can you? I don't know. Can you say you can (laughs) or or are you going to have to break him out of jail so he can go to the inauguration? I don't know. Nobody knows this. Nobody knows this. But can, if he can Joe can
1: him. run a campaign from his basement, surely he can run it run it from
2: oh, a no, prison I, cell. I guess you could. Yeah. But they might, you know, they don't let prisoners talk on the internet, <laughs> on Zoom. <laughs> so maybe if he was elected and he could stay in jail and then he could pardon himself, you know.
1: Yeah, and then he could go do his job. Yes.
2: yes. I don't know, but I'm not trying to be pro or anti-Trump, I'm just saying that I keep thinking they have a strategy to beat this injustice and they don't. But maybe it's because these bright people, there is no strategy to be had. Because these people are nuts. And they're zealots. So then you think, well, just as we saw the speaker, can, if Trump is way ahead and they find a way to put him in jail and he can't run, and then you've got I mean, let's be honest, all of the candidates except Haley and DeSantis who drop out because they're just fragmenting the vote and there's, they have no chance in hell unless they're running for a cabinet position or vice presidents. So then the question is, and whether you like it or not out there listening, the Republican Party has fundamentally transformed itself. It's the party of the middle class. The Democrats are the party of the subsidized poor and the very wealthy, the bicultural elite. I never thought I'd say this because growing up, Republicans were not the party of the working class. It is now. And it can be ecumenical. It can appeal to Latinos and blacks, and and it's starting to. So what I'm getting at is whether you like it or not, those two candidates are going to run on a MAGA. And what does that mean? That means they're going to close the border and build the wall. That means they're going to get tough on China, and they're not going to be protectionists. They're going to say, like Trump did, We believe in reciprocity. You tariff, we tariff. We can't buy land in China, you can't buy land. We don't have 330,000 students in your country, you don't hear. That is what they're talking You You steal on copyright, we will. You steal patents, we will. That kind of tit-for-tat to restore deterrence. And they're going to have to adopt something Trump didn't do, or Trump will have to do something if he's a nominee that he didn't do, and that's to be physically responsible with 33 trillion and counting. So that MAGA agenda, I could go on, but the question then is the MAGA agenda and even a charismatic candidate, given that the left controls all the institutions of power, the media, Silicon Valley, they've got all the trillionaires, I should say multi-billionaires. It's very hard to beat them unless you appeal, you can You can get up to forty-five percent of the Latino vote, you can get up to twenty percent of the black vote, you can get up to forty percent of the Asian, you gotta do all that. But you still need about three to five percent of the stereotypical soccer mom. The woman who is very conservative, or the suburban guy who's very conservative on physical issues, on security issues, on the police, who can be a natural constituent, but he says, I can't vote for Trump. He tweeted, it's so bad. Did you hear what he said? He called Biden an empty brain or a lizard head, or he said Stormy was a horse teeth. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't sanction this, not in my name. So how do you win those back? And so here's the tension as I see it. DeSantis is saying to the country, you get the mega agenda without the tweeting and the craziness, and maybe not without the Charisma, maybe I can't get 50,000 people and entertain them for two hours at a Michigan rally, but I can, get, I can embody the Trump agenda without the psychodramas, and I can appeal maybe to that the, the needed minority vote, three or four more Hispanics, three or four more percent blacks, five or six more Asians, and some suburban. Yeah. And then Haley is saying, well, I, I can do that better than you. I'm part of the other marginalized community. My parents are from India. I'm a woman. I have political experience. I lived in the suburb. I know how to get suburban women. I can get more minorities than you can. But I can't get the base like you can. Yeah. The mega people don't trust me. They think I talk out of both sides of my mouth. This week she didn't help her. After two really good debates, what did she do? She said that she basically wanted to let people in from Gaza. And DeSantis just nailed her on that. Yeah. And so the question I think voters will have is three things. One, how does Trump become viable given his the warfare waged against him? Two, can DeSantis appeal to the Rhino suburban vote as successfully Are more successfully than Haley can get the MAGA vote. In other words, who can unite the party and get a constituency that is not their own more successfully? And then the third question is, if Donald Trump is not the nominee and if people rightly conclude that he was done an injustice by warping the political system, when I say he's not the nominee, I, I don't mean that anybody rigged it or anything like that i'm talking about whether these crazy people put him in jail right yeah but if he's not the nominee and he's in leavenworth <laughs> just this the thought is crazy how can that unity ticket appeal to his supporters cuz you lose 5 to 10% of them and you're back to 2008 and 2012 when 5 to 6 million people Especially in 2012, Romney would have won that election of the deplorables and the Clingers had just voted in Pennsylvania, Michigan, North Carolina, and Wisconsin. And they said, I don't trust this guy. He's a capitalist fool. Yeah. And he voted for basically pre-Obamacare and he's a rhino and I don't like him. He's an arrogant bastard. And everybody said, oh, they lost Romney election. No, they were pretty prescient. But you have to get those people. I don't know if they'll... Transfer their allegiance. The only way they'll transfer their allegiance uh, to—it's not just the issues that they have to to be carried on by other candidates. They have to feel that those candidates empathize with what's going on to Donald Trump. So, I was DeSantis. I would say the following. I said this before. A. I can. I will fight to make sure none of you ever have to go through the ordeal, Donald Trump. It's unfair, it's unjust, and I'm going to stop it. And I'm going to hold responsible all these people if they were in violation of the law. And I don't want them in my administration. So they talk about cleaning out conservative uh, prosecutors in the DOJ. I will do that to hardcore Jacobin. Believe me, I will, and I will pardon Donald Trump. And then the second thing he has to say is, I'm a unifier. I am a unifier. I did something in Florida that's successful, and I'm transcending that. And I'm going to use that agenda, and I'm going to not talk about Florida, Disney, transgender, any of that stuff. I'm going to talk about the economy, the border, foreign policy. And I will do for you what I did for Florida. And somebody like Gavin Newsom will do for you what he did in California. And that's a good thing. And I'm going to unify. I want the Haley people. I want the Trump people. And we can't, we have no margin of error. And then Haley is going to have to say the same thing. I have to win you over MAGA. You do not trust me. And I will make sure that Donald Trump is martyred. If that's what it is. In the sense that his his cause will be mine and I will do more for Donald Trump than he can, given his legal jeopardy. And you have to, and we'll see whether her charisma trumps, and for this fight between the second and third candidate in the polls, whether her charisma trumps DeSantis's proven record as administrator in Florida, and his can, and he's run something. Yeah, he's got a lot of advantages. I'm not trying to be a pro DeSantis because this is a disinterested podcast, but. He was a, He's the only person that served in the military, and he was in a war zone. And he actually is running right now. He's administering a huge state. That—that that He should really emphasize that. And he's got an ideal story of a middle-class, successful person. She's got a good story, too. And, you know, for all the criticism of Donald Trump, he had a good story.
1: Yeah.
2: He said, I can do for America what I did for my businesses. And the left said, yeah, we saw what you did. We were a bit of Trump- beer trump alcohol trump steaks trump Romney said that. He yeah. said no. Uh you may say I'm a showman I went bankrupt but I am I was a very successful building thing and he was and he did a great job for 4 years.
1: All right, well Victor, we're at the end of our show. Thank you very much for all of the um perspective really on on well, We Israel. covered a lot of ground today. Yeah, we sure did, Israel. And I hope at the oil, end of the thing you're going to say this
2: too. Yeah, go ahead. I will finish with this, Sammy. That it, you're not going to say it looks like.
1: <laughs> no, I'm not. I did Huff. see pictures of the of the parking lot that the bomb hit, but it did still uh, injure over a dozen
2: people. It did. I'm not condoning, but, not. Uh, but it was a rocket file, fire fired to kill Jewish civilians. Yeah, I, I and I understand. Had that. it killed Jewish civilians rather than mm-hmm. fallen on its own people. I don't think we'd be giving them $100 million, and please be nice to me money.
1: Yeah, not at all. Well, with that, thanks to our listeners, and thank you, Victor.
2: Thank you, everybody, for listening.
1: This is Sammy Wink and Victor Davis Hanson, we're signing off.